I don't know if this really happened or not. The story is told that Mark Twain was out in Utah, and um, he got in an argument with a man about polygamy. And um, the man said to him, he said, can you name a single passage of Scripture that forbids a man to have more than one wife? And you know what Mark Twain said? No man can serve two masters. Someone said that when a man and woman get married, they become one. The trouble is when they try to decide which one. Someone else said that marriage is nature's way of keeping people from fighting with strangers. Um, I hope that's not the case, but... I, I messaged my wife this week and I, said, I asked her, I said, Honey, I said, I need you to pray for me because of what I'm going to preach Sunday. And then I said, and I also realized again that God has a sense of humor. And the reason why I asked her to pray for me is because I'm going to be talking to you about marriage this morning. So that is always an issue that you desperately need prayer for when you're going to talk about marriage. And then the reason why I realized that God has a sense of humor is because I was sitting in my office when it dawned on me this week, this is early in the week, it dawned on me that I was going to be preaching about marriage on our anniversary. So I said, God really has a sense of humor, all right? This was not planned. I didn't plan it out this way. It just, you sometimes, sometimes as a, as a pastor, as a preacher, when I'm preparing a message, sometimes things just dawn on me after it's already in the works. It's like, oh, I'm going to be preaching on marriage on our anniversary. Good combination. So I hope my, my wife's probably been fasting and praying ever since then. I'm not sure. Maybe that's why she hasn't eaten much this week. But I want you to look with me at Colossians chapter 3. Now we're going to pick back up. I'll be honest with you, knowing where I left off in Colossians when I last preached to you from the book of Colossians, knowing that this was next, the temptation kind of hit me like, maybe they'll forget I was preaching on Colossians and I could just skip over, you know, forget about the rest of the book and just skip this part because this is, this is, you know, tougher stuff. And that temptation did cross my mind, but I, I'm going to persist uh, because this is the Word of God and we need to walk in the light of it. But let me just remind you where we left off last time I spoke to you. I, I, I talked to you about what's in the well comes up in the bucket. Okay, you remember that? We talked about that a couple Sundays and we saw how we are to put on things like compassion and kindness, humility, meekness, patience, love. We're to bear with one another. We're to be forgiving of one another. We're to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We're to strive side by side for the sake of the gospel. Are we striving for things that make for peace? Or are we battling one another within the church? We saw that we're to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in our hearts. And then ultimately, Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything we do. 
in the name of Jesus. And that applies to our marriages as well, because the next verse, Paul says this, Wives, submit to your, to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Now, as we're going to see over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see that these two verses are really part of a larger section of instructions for Christian households that Paul gives to the Colossians. And really, those two verses are kind of a succinct version of what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. And so I want you to turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going we're gonna to use Ephesians along with Colossians this morning because Colossians 3 is just that succinct version. Ephesians 5, he fleshes it out some more. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, I mention any time that a pastor preaches on a subject like this, we tend to get ourselves in trouble. We're bound to get somebody mad at us. In fact, the last time I spoke to you along these lines was probably about eight years ago, and I made somebody mad at me. Now, really, they weren't even here when I preached it, so I, they, they were going on apparently secondhand information about what I said, but she was not happy with me. She was so unhappy with me that when she confronted me about what I said, it was here in the church, and she left slamming the door so, so hard it kind of shook back there. And I hope that nobody leaves mad at me today, okay? Please, please don't leave mad at me, all right? This is a, a, a difficult subject. And I want you to understand this morning that as I preach, I'm pointing my finger at myself as much as I'm pointing at anybody else. Now, how a, a household was to function was not a topic that was exclusive just to Christians in Paul's day. This was a common source of discussion among the philosophers of Paul's day, philosophers such as, uh, as, such as Phileo and Aristotle and others had advice for how husbands should deal with his wife, their children, and slaves. 
And so now in the Christian church, you can imagine as people are coming to faith in Christ, there's a lot of questions that are arising in their minds. Paul has just called them in Colossians, he's just called all of the believers in the church at Colossae, he's said they're all one body. In Ephesians, in the verse just prior to the ones I just read, Paul told the Ephesians to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So how does one body, everybody being one body, and how does submission to one another work in a home? And I, I probably don't need to tell you this, but there's no place where our, that's a harder place to live out your faith than in your closest relationships, right? Because those who are closest to us know us best. And so there's no harder place, and I intentionally chose the picture here of, of a couple holding sparklers because there's always a lot of sparks that go off a lot of times in the relationships that are closest. So how do we live out a faith in a household now that we are all one in Christ, the ground's level at Calvary, but now you have Christians in the church, you have husbands and wives who are Christians, you also have Husbands who are Christians with wives that aren't Christians. You have wives that are Christians with husbands that are not Christians. You have Christians who, Christian parents with children. You have Christian masters who have slaves. We'll, we'll deal with that issue here in a couple weeks. You have slaves who are now Christians living for ma with masters who are not Christians. So how do you live in the faith in that context? Well, Paul deals with that. And if my faith in Jesus Christ doesn't transform how I relate to those closest to me, my faith is really in vain. Quite frankly, if those closest to me don't have confidence in my relationship with Jesus Christ, I have failed as Christ's ambassador. I can't be a missionary to the world if those who are closest to me don't have confidence in me. Amen? So it's important for us to talk about and understand how do we live out our faith in the relationships of our home. And today we're going to deal with husbands and wives, and we see, first of all, we see that there's some responsibilities here for husbands and wives. We're going to talk, first of all, about the responsibility of wives and of the wife, and the reason why I start with the wife is because that's who Paul starts with. So Paul deals with the wife first. Verse 18 of Colossians 3, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. And then Ephesians 5, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So wives, the responsibility of the wife is to submit to her husband. Now I just told you though that in just prior to this in Ephesians, Paul said in verse Ephesians 5.21 that all of us are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what does this submission to one another mean? 
Well, it means that we yield to each other voluntarily. That's always been a characteristic of the Christian church then it's, it's urged all throughout the Scripture. For instance, in Philippians, we're told to do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Let each of you not look to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. And then Paul in Philippians, he points to Christ as our example. And he says, Christ did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. What did he do? He stepped down, he humbled himself, he submitted himself to the will of the Father. So this humility, this submission to which all of us are to submit to one another is based upon the example of Christ. Now, we know elsewhere in Scripture that this that submission is something that's expected of younger men, for instance, of older men, toward older men. For instance, in 1 Peter 5, same Greek word for subject, submission. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to elders, to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time He might exalt you. So all of us are to submit ourselves to one another. We're to consider others' interest above our own. That's the model of Christ. All of us. So we don't look out for our own interest. That's the universal command. However, there are specific or particular people in Scripture who are in roles in which they are to submit to others. I just read about how younger men are to submit to their elders. Servants are to submit to their masters. Citizens are to submit to their government. We're told that demons submitted to the 70 that Jesus sent out, those 70 disciples. The demons submitted to them. Now, it's important for us to understand that none of those roles are ever reversed in the Bible. Husbands are never told to submit to their wives. Servants, our masters, are never told to submit to their servants. Disciples are certainly never told to submit to demons. Elders are never told to submit to the younger. Children are always told, submit to your parents. Parents are never told to submit to their children. We understand that. The interesting thing is, we understand that younger men should submit to their elders. We don't have a problem understanding that children should obey their parents. We do have a tendency at times to struggle with the idea of wives submitting to their husbands. Why is that? Probably because that's where the rubber meets the road for the wife. Now, hold on. I'm going to get to the husbands here in a second, so wives, don't get mad at me yet. But that's probably because that's where the rubber meets the road. Just as husbands struggle with showing loves for their wife, love for their wife as they ought, because that's where the rubber meets the road for the husband. We struggle. So the responsibility of wives toward their husbands, according to Scripture, is to submit to them. This is the wife's particular responsibility in marriage. And it's the universal teaching of the New Testament. In fact, every passage 
that deals with a wife's relationship to her husband in the New Testament always tells the wife to submit to her husband. Every passage. Same word is used, hupazo, Greek word. Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3, Titus 2, others. They all say the same thing. And so if submission is what the wife is to do to the husband, what does that mean? Well, I told you it's the Greek word hupazo, and it has the idea of voluntarily yielding in love. Now, it's not an issue of superiority or inferiority. It is not that the husband is superior to the wife and that the wife is inferior to the husband. That's not the case. Just as elders are not superior to the younger, it's just a matter of roles. It's not a matter of superiority. Submission is an inner quality of gentleness that affirms the leadership of the husband. When, we're, when wives are told to be submissive to your husbands, that means that a wife should willingly submit to her husband's authority and leadership in the home, in their marriage. It means making a choice to affirm your husband as leader within the limits of obedience to Christ. It means it includes a demeanor that honors him as leader even when you may disagree with him. You still honor him. So you don't check your brain in at the door. You're still going to disagree, but you still honor him as leader even when you may disagree. It doesn't mean you give up independent thought. It doesn't mean you stop trying to influence him in decision making. It doesn't mean you're of lesser intelligence or you're of lesser competence than your husband. It doesn't mean that you live in fear of your husband. Being in submission means that a wife willingly recognizes that God has placed her husband in the role of leadership in the home and the wife willingly affirms and supports his role as the head of the home. That's the responsibility of the wife. Now, let's talk to the husbands for a few minutes. In fact, a little longer to the husbands. Because the responsibility of the husband is we are to love our wives. Paul says in Colossians 3, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What's the key word? That God says, Husbands, this is what your, your responsibility to your wife. The key word is obviously love, right? That word is used six times in Ephesians chapter 5. Love is the duty of the husband to the wife. And what's interesting is considering the fact that Paul has just told wives to submit to their husbands, what's interesting to me is what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, husbands, be head over your wife. Instead, he tells us husbands to love our wives. Twice in Ephesians 5... Verse 25 and verse 28, we're told, love your wife. As Grant Osborne put it, he put it this way, he said, Paul devotes twice the space to the husband's obligation to love as he does to the wife's obligation to submit. This may be because it's harder for many husbands to overcome their self-centered tendencies than it is for their wives to do so. Ouch. Can I get a witness, men? 
And maybe because it's harder for us to overcome our self-centered tendencies than it is our wives to do so. Now, it's interesting to me how things are reversed today. In our day, to suggest that a wife should, should submit to her husband is totally out of step with the cultural norms of our day, right? That's, this is totally out of step. I'll have all the women's lib organizations mad at me if you spread this on Facebook. They'll probably picket my house and burn it down or something. Our culture expects a husband to love his wife, but not for a wife to submit to her husband. The opposite of that was the case in Paul's day. A wife being in submission to her husband was in, in it was the normal cultural norm in Paul's day. But for the husband to love his wife was totally out of step with what was the prevailing standards of cultural norms in Paul's day. In Paul's day, they stressed the power of the patriarch in the home and the, how the husband was to control his wife. But nowhere in any Hellenistic text from that time period is a husband ever told that he needs to love his wife. So what Paul does here is he completely reverses through God's, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he completely reverses cultural norms here when he says, husbands, love your wives. Self-sacrificial love. In other words, what Paul says about wives here wasn't really groundbreaking in his day. But what he says to us husbands is groundbreaking in his day. Husbands showing sacrificial love for their wives was unheard of. In fact, Paul calls on us husbands to love our wives with agape love, with self-sacrificial love. And that word agape is virtually a Christian invention of a new word for love. It's, it's used very little outside of the New Testament. It was used about 20 times for the translation of the Old Testament into the Greek and the Septuagint. But other than that, it's, it's really not found outside of Christian literature. So Paul says, church, husbands, love your wives with self-sacrificial agape love in the manner that I love the church. Husbands are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Now, how did Christ love the church? What did he do? What Paul says, he gave himself for it. Self-sacrificial love. In the husband's role, in our role as husbands in the home, in the, as we lead our homes, we are to seek to lead our wives by giving of ourselves in ways in which we resemble Christ's love for the church. What did Christ do? He gave himself, why? Paul says, that he might sanctify her, that he might present her to himself in splendor, that she might be holy and without blemish. Is that how we love our wives? Now again, so as I point one finger at you, I've got three pointing back at me and one pointing at the ceiling, okay? So I'm shooting at myself this morning, husbands. 
Let me ask a question. As the body of Christ, are we supposed to submit to Christ's leadership? Of course, right? He's the head of the church. We submit to his leadership. But let me ask you another question. Does Christ ever try to force us to submit against our will? Of course not. How did Christ give of himself for us? He gave himself up for us when? While we were yet sinners. So when we were rejecting him, when we were refusing to submit our lives to him, he gave up himself for us. But what is it that we, you, and I I think I did three times to me, what is it that we as husbands tend to do? When we feel that our wives are not respecting us, what do we do? We get upset and angry. And we start to act in unloving ways. We insist on our right to, honey, please don't say amen too loudly here, okay? We insist on our right to, to, to be respected. And what happens? We jump on board what Emerson Egrich in, in Love and Respect, that book, what he calls the crazy cycle. We jump on board the crazy cycle. He put it this way. He said, without love, she reacts. Without respect, he reacts. And so on and on on the crazy cycle we go. Men crave respect because that's how God wired us. Women crave to be valued and cherished. They want to feel loved. And when either one of us don't get what we want, we tend to jump on board the crazy cycle rather than doing what God's Word commands. And when a husband feels disrespected, it's especially hard to love his wife. And when a wife feels unloved, it's especially hard for her to respect her husband. And on and on I go. And if I can quote Emerson Agarich, he put it this way. He said, unfortunately, a wife's usual approach is to complain and criticize in order to motivate her husband to become more loving. This usually proves about as successful as trying to sell brass knuckles to Mother Teresa. The husband decides he will motivate his wife to become more respectful by acting in unloving ways. This proves about as successful as trying to sell a pickup to an Amish farmer. Neither one of those methods work too well. But husbands, are we only to love our wives when our wives are respecting us? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it, for it and what are, we, what are we told? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So frankly, men, even if our wives never respect us, we have to love our wives. Ouch. Even if our wives go out and act like Hosea's wife did in the Old Testament, Remember Hosea? God, God told Hosea, go take a wife, of the pro- take this prostitute as a wife, and used her as an example. And what was that example for? As Israel, how Israel was, was prostituting herself, 
and turning away from God, and yet God continued to show His love to Israel. And we are part of His church, and what Christ did for His church, He loved us and He gave Himself for it in order to sanctify uh, the church and present the church without spot and without blemish. If I can quote Grant Osborne again, he said, What husbands are asked to do is no different from what all believers are instructed to do in their relationship with one another. The marital context is simply the most intense and demanding example of that requirement. We have a responsibility, men, to love our wives. We have huge shoes to fill. Every once in a while, my kids will go put my shoes on. I wear size 15. My shoes look like Ronald McDonald's shoes on their feet. And men, we're to walk in the shoes of our Savior and love our wives as Christ loved the church. We're to treat our wives with self-giving love as He demonstrated for us. God help me. So let me just quickly say, why, why these roles? Why? why is it that wives are to submit and husbands are to love? Why is there a difference? What's the reason for these roles? Well, Ephesians 5, Paul says the reason is, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. We've talked about that. In Colossians 3, wives are told to submit to their husbands as fitting in the Lord, in Ephesians 5.22, as to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says that he wants us to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So why these roles? Well, these roles are in place because man is the head of the wife, Christ is the head of man, and who's the head of Christ? God. Submission happens all the way down. And notice here, this authority structure is not one of inferiority, but of role and function. Because Christ is obviously not inferior to the Father. In fact, they're one, right? But it's Trinity. Unity. But Christ willingly submitted himself to the will of the Father. He made a choice to submit. And when a wife submits to her head, her husband, she does so as a voluntary decision of an equal to place herself under the authority and leadership of another. She submits, though, not just to her husband, but Paul says, as to the Lord... And as is fitting in the Lord. So Christ not only provides the model for submission, but He's the one mandating it. In other words, when a wife willingly submits to the husband, wives are ex accepting the relationship assigned to them by the Lord. And when they submit to their husbands, they're really in reality submitting to Christ. And when the husband accepts his role of sacrificial love, he's accepting the role that Christ himself demonstrated for us. And this willing affirmation of the husband's leadership role in the home 
is why Paul, remember Paul, in, in, not Paul, I should say Peter, in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter points to Sarah as an example. And he says this, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they, receive, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which, is, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, let me ask you something. Here, in the conservative, what we call the conservative holiness movement, we've often taken those verses and we focused on the adornment part of those verses. That's not what the passage is about. What the passage is about is the importance of wives focusing on their inward character. And he says, don't just let your focus be on what's external. It's not about what's external. Let your beauty come within. And then he points to Sarah as an example of this submissive, sweet spirit and the point here is not that you ladies ought to be calling your husbands Lord, as Sarah called her husband Master or Lord. That's not the point. The point is the attitude that she had. She had an attitude of submissiveness. And Peter says, ladies, let that be what marks you. Not your outward appearance. Now, we all know that ladies are more generally, more often concerned about their outward appearance than us men, generally. I'm speaking in general terms. And Peter says, ladies, don't let that be what is what marks you. Let it be the inside. And then he gives a reason, or you could say a result of that submission. Your husbands, who may even be unbelievers may be won to Christ by your behavior, by your spirit, without you even opening your mouth. That's a phenomenal reason for submission. Another reason is in Titus chapter 2. He talks about how older women are to teach what is good and train the younger women to love their husbands and children. This is what older ladies are supposed to be teaching the younger. They're to teach them to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Why? So that the Word of God may not be reviled. So again, that's another reason why wives should be submissive to their husbands so that the Word of God is not slandered by unbelievers. Another reason given. Let's talk about some reasons for the husband's role. Well, we fill that role as Christ loved the church. Christ has authority over the church. But how did he exercise that authority? We've already talked about it, but he gave himself. 
We're to love our wives, husbands, as Christ loved the church and as our own bodies. We're to nourish and cherish our bodies. Our wives, I should say, as we do our bodies and as Christ does the church. And in 1 Peter 3, then Paul says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Our wives are heirs with us of the grace of life. In other words, our wives are just as valuable in God's eyes as we are. In fact, our wives were so valuable that He laid down His life for them and offered them the grace of life just as He did for us. But we husbands are to live with them in an understanding way. And Peter says, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel. Now, in what way are they weaker? Well, there's a lot of suggestions for that, but the simple fact is, in general, women are weaker than men physically, right? In general. And if we men want, we could enforce our will on women because we're stronger than them, and we could force them to submit to our will, right? In general, because we're, they're the weaker vessel. But that's not how a Christian husband is ever to treat his wife. Instead, we are to understand that she's an heir with us of the grace of life. In other words, we don't try to force submission. And that's our temptation. And that's where I've been guilty over and over. When we feel disrespected, we're tempted as men to try to force our wives to submit to us but that's not the biblical meaning of submission. In fact, in 1 Peter, Peter goes on and he warns us husbands that we're to live with our wives in an understanding way so that our prayers may not be hindered. So that our prayers be not hindered. So God is so concerned that we as husbands live with our wives in an understanding and a loving way that He interrupts His relationship with us when we do not treat our wives properly. So men that think you can just manhandle your wife, God takes it so, so seriously that the one who taught us simply to pray our Father and offer us right immediate access into the presence of God that same God interrupts His relationship with us and our prayers are hindered because of the way we treat our wives. What am I talking about? I'm talking about reasons for our roles. We have a huge responsibility to treat our wives in a proper way and one good reason for it is I don't want my prayers to be hindered. In their book, Boundaries, Henry Cloud and John Towns, and I'm wrapping up, I know time's way past. They wrote this. They said, we have never seen a submission problem 
that did not have a controlling husband at its root. When the wife begins to set clear boundaries, the lack of Christ-likeness in a controlling husband becomes evident because the wife is no longer enabling his immature behavior. She's confronting the truth and setting biblical limits on hurtful behavior. Often when the wife sets boundaries, the husband begins to grow up. Ouch. To this, theologian Scott McKnight added, he said, what these two authors are saying is that focusing on submission is almost surely an indicator that one's priorities are messed up. Husbands too frequently resort to demanding submission when they're unable to get their way. That indicates selfishness, not loving and devoted service to one's wife, which is the way Christ loved the church. What the husband ought to be saying to himself is, why do I have to use force to get this done? Often he has decided that his own desires and ideas have to be fulfilled and that his wife's do not matter. Such behavior is not loving. Marriages that are full of love, respect, and honor rarely, I believe, need to resort to the issue of submission. One man put it this way. He said, I believe in a wife submitting to her husband, but I don't believe the husband ever has the right to demand it. In fact, I know that when I am worthy of submission, my wife submits. And when I am unworthy of it, she does not. My responsibility as a husband is to be worthy. Ouch. I told you I needed prayer this week. There's a reason why I sent my wife a message and told her to pray for me. Elsewhere, Paul grounds our roles as husbands and wives in creation, 1 Corinthians 11. He grounds the headship of, of the man in the creation activity of God. God has given us distinct roles. Husband is to be the head of the house, the head of the home. Wives are to be in submission to their husbands. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So I guess just to wrap this up, I'll just ask you, how are you doing? Husbands, are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it? Wives, are you willingly submitting to your husband as the leader of your home and respecting the role that God has placed him in? If not, what do you do? Do we leave here today and say, I'm going to try harder this week? Can I just take you back a couple weeks, several weeks again, and remind you again of indicative before imperative? This is part of the imperative section of Colossians and the imperative section of Ephesians. But we must begin with what Christ has done for us. You see, I think when our marriage gets out of whack, it's normally because our relationship with God has gotten out of sync. So the first thing we need to do is go back to Christ and what He's done for us. And get our relationship with Him correct. And when you have Him at the top correct, 
those other corners of the triangle, the husband and wife, can get in sync. But first, we have to humble ourselves before God and say, God, I've not been fulfilling the role as you intended it to be fulfilled. And first, I need your forgiveness. And then because of what you've done for me, I want to be the husband, I want to be the wife that you want me to be. Not because you're trying to earn anything, but because you want to live out what Christ has called us to. I know myself, I failed many, many times in our 18 years of marriage as of today to be the husband I ought to be. I'm thankful for a forgiving wife and a loving wife and a submissive wife. But I'm also grateful for forgiving God because I've had to ask her for forgiveness a lot of times and I've had to ask him for forgiveness a lot of times. Because I ain't the perfect husband. But I serve a perfect God. And I'm grateful that he's forgiving and merciful. And I do want to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus, I thank you for your word this morning. This is a challenging, challenging truths from your word for us because this is really where the rubber meets the road in our lives and lord we do want to live out the gospel in our homes those closest to us if those closest to us don't have confidence in us we fail to be your ambassador as we ought so lord we pray that you will help us Help me as a husband, as a father. I need your grace. I need your mercy. And I pray you'll help me to love my wife as you love the church. Help all of us, Lord, as your body. We submit ourselves again to your leadership. And Lord, this morning we've heard what your desire is for the roles in our marriage. And right now we have to make a choice whether or not we're going to submit to your leadership or not. And so Lord, we just want to say that we submit ourselves anew and afresh to your leadership. We want to walk in the light as you are in the light. Help us, Lord, to be the people that you died to make us be. Thank you for your grace and thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.